When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Hello, Joe. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. How are you? I'm trying to concentrate on talking into this. You have a task today of speaking in one direction. Yeah, it's I know that's complicated for you. It's horrible. You know how the eyes can look without the head moving? Work on that. JJ Bull the Bullet also here. Hello. It's a special day, isn't it? Because we don't, we never do this with you two. People have questioned before, are, can they even be in the same room? Yes, they have questioned that, but we can, often are. The answer is yes. Yes. What, what could be the reason why you wouldn't be allowed? A restraining order or some kind of fractal universal event? Sexual tension. Well, it is uncomfortable in here. Um, anyway, we're all here in the studio today, and we'll be talking about football. <clears throat> The cough there, not to indicate that we won't be doing that. I just needed to cough. Chelsea, Man United, Southampton. Ah, Norwich City and Manchester City. Two different types of cities there. And uh, all the other teams as well. Uh, as well as a quick jaunt through Europe. Seb's not here today, so that will be very quick. We'll be doing it nonetheless. And if you like to do things anyway... You should get The Athletic, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you can do things anyway in a fantastic way every day uh, for as long as you like, and you can get a 30-day free trial to do that. For the first 30 days, you'll be doing it anyway for free, uh, which is very exciting. I get a lot of use out of it, particularly at the weekends, but also in the week. (laughs) The Athletic. (laughs) It is really good. Anyway, uh, with that said, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the return of Premier League football. Chelsea won the Club World Cup, the FIFA Club World Cup. Not just any Club World Cup, they won the FIFA Club World Cup. And they won it against Palmeiras. Um, it doesn't really matter, but it's exciting for people, I imagine. Um, the interesting thing that came from the game, though, JJ, was the penalty thing. The penalty thing, yes. There was a thread on Twitter, because um, uh, all of this is a, obviously a huge game and a great achievement for Chelsea. Very important. I didn't watch it. So the thing in the thread afterwards was that... Uh, Palmeiras uh, were very upset about conceding a penalty in extra time. So obviously that's a bad thing to do. It yeah. means you might lose. Yeah. So naturally they surrounded the referee, tried to you know, stop that from being a penalty. It's never going to happen. Also tried to put off the penalty taker. And I think the theory is that the longer the penalty taker has to think about taking a penalty, the more likely they are to overthink it and miss. I, t- I can tell you from my experience of playing Rocket League, JJ, if I have too long to uh, score an open goal. More often than not, I'll miss, you know? I live inside my own head. In a more uh, real-life version of that, if you yes. think about Sadio Mane's penalty in the African Cup of Nations final, which you remember very well. Better better example. Yes. Yes. So, the, I mean, in that example, there was the foul. Um, Egypt obviously complained about it a lot, surrendered him. Mo Salah came up to the goalkeeper to tell him where Mane was going to put his penalty. Mane was going to say, no, I'm not going there, I'm going this other way. Ended up smashing down the middle. But the ad- added time of trying to deal with where he's going to put the penalty may very well have been what uh, resulted in him smashing down the middle and having it saved. Whereas here, in the Chelsea game, uh, so Aspilicueta picks up the ball as though he's going to be the one that takes the penalty. So the Palmeiras players think he's going to be the penalty taker and surround him and try and put him off and delay it as much as they can, uh, which is something they've done in previous games. And the, Gamesmanship. Yes, and then the thread on Twitter, I can't remember who did it, which is bad, um, but they point out how Chelsea have obviously been prepared for this. They knew this is something that was likely to happen in such a big game. And so Aspilicueta takes the heat while everything's calming down uh, slowly. Kai Havertz is lurking in the background. 
And then just as they, they calm down, go outside the box, so the penalty can be taken, Aspilicueta gives the ball to Havertz, who then steps up and scores it. That is cool. It's quite a, cool. A heat decoy. Yeah, it's on, yeah. It's on the Twitters. Aspilicueta, uh, you know, another, another sort of point to make uh, adjacent to this. It's a terrific, long and successful career with Chelsea, hasn't he, Alex? I mean, he's a, he's a very impressive player when you think about it. Yeah, he's um, he's incredibly consistent. I, I think people forget that this is a player who's been at Chelsea for 10 seasons now and has been absolutely instrumental in their sort of, not resurgence, but this period where, you know, obviously they've, they've got... Surgeons. Well, they're surgeons, yes. <laughs> and more expensive players have been brought in. But Aspilicueta has been consistently excellent in a variety of different roles for that team, provides real leadership and experience. He's a bit like uh, the Chelsea's company. Do you know what I mean? Of, of Man City's company, Chelsea's company. He's like one of those players. Very, very early acquisition yeah. uh, under a new ownership. But um, the one that was, you know, the one that was right that stuck it out throughout that actually turned out to be better than any other player they could have bought, hypothetically. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that having that experience in somebody who, you know, when 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 clubs get lots of money and spend lots of money, then there's there's obviously quite an incoming and outgoing of players. And to have at least one or two figures in the dressing room who are consistently there and consistently provide that leadership and a kind of continuity, I think that's really important, as well as being an excellent player. I would also say as Pliqueta, so there's that theory that um, the best teams always have this kind of water carrier leader who would like bash through a wall to mm. you know to inspire everyone and would take the hits. As Pliqueta is exactly like that. He's also really dirty, like he gets stuck into people all the time. His little sly things. You notice him doing all the time. Uh, he's not the. I wouldn't say he's the best footballer that Chelsea have had over no. the last few years. Yet he's won. Everything. He's sort of an, a necessary anti-hero. He's exactly the kind of player that you need. And you think, like, he's won the Champions League twice now, right? He was in the 2012 as well mm-hmm. when they won that. So, so Quetta is exactly the kind of player who sets the standards of work rate, determination, aggression, leadership. And without him there, I, I mean, they could have had a better right back. They could have had, like, Hakimi or something like that, you know? But he's not going to be the same that you get mentally on the pitch, which is one of the most important parts. Yeah. Fullbacks. You often get that with fullbacks, don't you? Those little yeah. added extras, the pace setters. It's like the, a better uh, version of Gary Neville. Sure. Mm. That might be, that's maybe harsh on Aspilicueta. Is it? Might be harsh on Gary Neville, it's hard to maybe. say. Yeah. Did Gary Neville play as a centre-back sometimes? Yes. I thought so. I had that in my mind somewhere. Sometimes he did, yeah. Very rarely. I think he played as a centre-back in a three for England, actually. And was doing overlapping centre-back stuff in Euro 96. Oh, there we go. It's not that new. The kids think they invented it. But kids are stupid and don't know anything. And nor do I. Man United won one Southampton. Southampton, not a nice run of form, aren't they, Alex? Yeah, two draws against the two Manchester teams, coming back against Spurs as well. So five points from a run of three games where the expectation would probably be nothing. Mm, nil um, points. And up into the top half of the table. I think that the thing that was really interesting, and we were texting back and forth during this game, is, is some of the tactical versatility that Hasenhutl's showing inside games. So after about 10 minutes, Romeo drops into what makes a back three. Yeah. And then they get that sort of 3-1 with Ward-Prowse sitting in front uh, five system where the wingbacks push really high. At other times then you had Ward-Prowse dropping in to make a back three, but when there were only two central defenders, the shape had changed. Mm. Occasionally it was Kyle Walker-Peters sitting back in, although that did give them problems a couple of times where he wasn't pushing up on the overlap. But it was really good tactical coaching in game. And I, when I was watching it, I think the question that I found most interesting was, how do the players know when they're supposed to change? Like, is it in response to things that in this game United were doing or is it in response? To, like, I find that fascinating. Yeah. And obviously we're not going to know the answer to that because we aren't in the dressing room or in pre-match, but it was really clearly methodical and thought out. Yeah, you just reminded me of something I noticed in this game. Uh, I thought Harsen Hüttel's in-game management in terms of his substitutions was really f- funny and good because there were two instances where uh, a Southampton player was removed from the pitch almost instantly after getting a yellow card, <laughs> Romeo being one of them, uh, towards the end of the game. In fact, I think he was subbed off around 88 minutes, even though uh, even though it was so close to the end of the game, just picked up a yellow, and he was looking a little feisty, as Romeo often does. Um, Broya, what a great player. Amanda Broya, JJ. I can't work out if he is a great player or not. I think he's Good. I can't work out what level he's at. So I was, I was asking us. I, I I think great, the great level. But yeah. then I put a lot of players in that level. You know, 
I have about five or six different terms for really, really good. Great could be third on that list, you know? Excellent. <laughs> I'd need a comparison to work out who else you held on that. Well, I would say someone like um, like a Robin Van Persie, legend, yeah? And you put Broya in the same category as Van Persie? No, I put him in a, the great category. Legend is a different category, yeah? It seems to be a good player, Broya. Chelsea wouldn't sell him, would they? They wanted to try and buy him in the in the window. But uh, I think he's one of these players that seems like a really good footballer, but doesn't get very good numbers. Mm. Like, you know, there's a lot of them that maybe don't get the goals or um, assists or things like that. There's the basic numbers that you want to see in a player. So you just instantly know they're good by looking at that. But yeah, is a good player for the team. Really fast, a lot faster than he looks. Um, good technically, good positioning. Let me ask you this, though. Do I just think he's a great player because he went into a Southampton team that have struggled to score for about five years and suddenly he looks like he can score when he gets the ball? Maybe that's why, in the context. Uh, maybe. He just looks good in that team. And maybe he suits the way that Hassan Huttel wants to, to play as well. Like Alex was saying, um, the way they were moving position, changing uh, formation and changing different phases of play was really clever and the players just must it must be I think it's ball dependence wherever the ball is they know when they have to to move I guess I say you do it in training right you'd sort of work out what position the ball is in the pitch and then where your players need to be and if this guy say your Kyle Walker-Peters is at right centre back then the guy who is the right winger knows he needs to be wide to the touchline rather than inside I think that must be how they work it out but then maybe it's shouts from the manager well it's yeah it, it was more the sort of big system changes like dropping into the back three and then changing that again I, I guess in game ball dependent for sure and I think the thing with Brozier in this side is that like Gagan pressing coaches like to have big physical and quick centre forwards who can run the channels and draw opposition players away so that the the midfielder that's cutting in in this instance from the left hand side can find space to run into mm. or if it's Perro coming in on the underlap as a fullback which happened once or twice really effectively and so it, it's that sort of a clever footballer who can make use of their physicality and their positioning is a good team player who doesn't necessarily get the kind of numbers that you're talking about that you could overtly look at and go, well, obviously they're good because they've scored X number of goals, but it's mm. within the context. And I think that's what makes it hard to assess him because if you put him into the Chelsea team, like, would that be as effective? Would he be running the channels to make, you know, space for someone like, I don't know, Pulisic or Ziyech to come in and, and be able to do stuff there? Yeah. It's really hard to know. But he works very well in the Southampton team. You can understand why they tried to buy him in the January window. Armando Broya, apparently. We've reached that point where last weekend he was Broja. Mm. And now he's Broya. That's that's like when you know that you're accepted in the Premier League is when people make an effort to pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Including us. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Broya. We've mentioned Hasenhutl already. We haven't mentioned the other Ralph. Um, Ralph Little. Rangnick. Mm. Ralph Little. <laughs> Not him. Uh, Ralph Rangnick. This game, game of history, Alex. Well, no, I mean, every game's a game of history, technically. But these two managers have history. I mean, every every manager has history, but together they have history. To, as as a as a pair, they have history. Yeah, yes. they do. Um, obviously, uh, Hassan Hotel was uh, in the Red Bull system, managed Leipzig, achieved a couple of really good finishes with them. Mm. Seems like they fell out. It seems like they fell out. Yes, but then if you watch the beginning of that game when they spoke to each other, like it seemed kind of friendly and nice. The end didn't though. No, it didn't seem unfriendly. Well, yeah, but the end wouldn't be because. I, I thought sure. it was really interesting. United generally as a team were really petulant. In the game. In the game. I think they came into that game expecting to win quite comfortably. And particularly Bruno Fernandes was not like, he was sort of swinging his arms around. And, and I think there's a whole atmosphere there where when they, when they don't get the result they think they're going to get, mm. they they become a bit arsy. Especially mm. Fernandez. Especially Fernandez. He sort of reacts as though it's someone else's fault all the time. It's like, mm -hmm. again, it's, it reminds me of when I'm really bad at Warzone and I get killed really easily. 
So, um, that's, yeah, that threw me off with that hand gesture. <laughs> Just because we have to talk directly into the I know, that's what I'm doing, that's though. That's what I'm doing that. Well, I think that affects the managers, doesn't it? When, you know, when, when players are, are spirited and disciplined, the manager feels positive. And when players are petulant and snappy, yeah. then the manager feels petulant and snappy. And I think that's maybe why it looked a little less friendly at the end of the game. Yeah. Paul schools were seen after as well. It looks like Fernandez might even be a problem now for United. Like, you think so? When you're playing the 43-1, you give him free roll to do whatever he wants to... And he was the only guy who had free a free role then that mm. was kind of fine because you can build the rest around him and then if he delivers then that's good the problem with having a system that depends on individuals is if they don't deliver then you're kind of screwed but now you've got Ronaldo as well who kind of wants that freedom and Rangnick wants it to be very structured very highly structured in in that team which is kind of problematic but you also have uh, what's the thing that happened at the weekend oh, Hassan Huttle saying that uh, everyone knows that United don't really work hard enough it's mm. something about being reverse gears they don't only work as one well I think yeah I think he was getting at the idea that when they are transitioning back to defence potentially there are one or two players on the team that don't track or they're most vulnerable at least what he was saying was they were most vulnerable on that stage which is also true of definitely true the it's other, true of almost every team <laughs> to be fair uh, yes and no uh, but United should Listen, be a if lot you're better. a man who has earned five points from City Tottenham and United with Southampton then I think it's fair to say whatever you want absolutely and that's the thing that like Gary Neville was talking about how that should be the worst thing you can hear as a professional athlete is that you haven't worked hard enough mm. uh, or that you don't work hard enough I mean see like there's working hard and working smart as well and Fernandez maybe trying to show that he's working hard for the team is showing up all over the pitch when he doesn't need to be dropping back to mm. like right back or doubling up positions where it then affects how the structure of the team should work. If you've got all these nice angles for passes and Fernandez is trying to get involved to lead the team to glory, but he's actually mm. then taking away someone else's position, it means they can't go to the place they want to go and when they try and get over it causes problems elsewhere. Sometimes it looks like he's micromanaging the team, you know? Fernandez. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's doing a lot of. He does a lot of gesturing to other to his teammates to say you should be here, or if there's a mistake, you shouldn't have made that. And you do hear a lot. I think it's interesting because we sort of, you know, we watch uh, football in an age where all of the pundits are ex-players, mm. and they come from a different generation of football where they say if you did something wrong, someone would tell you about it. You know, you wouldn't be unclear. And uh, I don't know if I'm not. I don't work in professional football. I don't know if that's still the same with younger players that are coming through now. I would imagine there are some significant differences. Um, so I think that sort of attitude often gets uh, a bit a bit of a soft play it, by the pundits and in the media because it's what they would expect and it's what retrospectively looking back on their careers they would want to think they worked extremely hard every moment um, they they learn from the value of other people's advice but sometimes like you say when he is pointing at you know Luke Shaw for being in the wrong place I do wonder whether Luke Shaw might better know where to be. Mm than Fernandez, who plays in a different position and faces the other direction most of the time. I think the point that JJ made there as well with um, working hard versus working smart. I remember when we interviewed Steve Morrison on this podcast and he was talking about pressing as a forward and saying that sometimes the crowd would be on you going, you know, close him down, close him down. And he would know that his instructions had been not to do that or to press or that somebody it was a waste of energy, or that it was a time. complete waste of energy. And this idea that players want to play up to the crowd by mm. by putting a lot of effort in but actually they're expending energy chasing a lost cause or they're winding themselves up and that then means their decision making isn't as good and i think if you have a hostile crowd and you know that as a team you're under pressure sometimes you know some players react by being calming and being a positive influence and mm. other players get increasingly energized but that energy moves itself into petulance or unhelpful true. things you can have what's seen as a good game and and not win or score and you can have what's seen as a bad game and win and score you know and, and one of those you can be playing smart the other one you can be kind of playing to the crowd it's a very interesting dynamic of football i think that's a very british thing yeah. something about the people really appreciate working uh, watching hard workers mm -hmm. um and i think you even see it in sunday league where I remember even playing in games where you get uh, applauded for making a slide tackle you didn't need to make 30 yards up the pitch because mm. it shows that you're committed and making an effort. Yeah. When actually you'd be much better staying 30 yards back in position so that the team couldn't then play through you rather than putting the ball out for a throw-in. It's the sad history of the proletariat, really, isn't it? You know, <laughs> work hard for 40 years, <laughs> get sacked in a week. Yeah. But, you know, you did your bit. You worked hard. You never complained, Yeah. You're a loyal employee. Hasenhutl, he said he's going to retire in 2024. 
Yeah, there was I'm, a surprise by this. I thought maybe he he was going going up. I there was some conversation before this game about whether he might actually be a decent fit for United mm. because if you've got Ranić in that overarching position, yes, okay, they have some history. But can I just stop you there for a second? Because you've no idea how many people complain at me for how often people say Rang Ranić. Okay. I get in trouble with people because I said Rangnick for a little bit at the beginning, yeah? And I was wrong. It's Rang Nick. I rang my friend Nick. And then people okay. complain at me all the time. Rang Nick. For you doing it or you doing it. They complain at me for other people who have no association with me for doing okay. it. It's Rang Nick, yeah. And then I say, oh, you said JJ, he says Ragnick all the time. But just, I, I rang my friend Nick. Thank you. I rang my friend Nick. How was he? He was well. Good. What yeah, did he you told talk me you've been saying Rangnick's name wrong. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. It, uh, what like, is it? I, Rangnick. There we go. I can understand why a manager like Hassan Hüttler is being spoken of in that way. If if United are looking to move towards a more transitional style of football and it's proven effective in the Premier League with particularly Klopp, but also with Tuchel to a degree. Mm. Like, it's not the dumbest idea, particularly for somebody who is used to working within that system with Rang Nick. Man United, JJ, making a bit of habit of dropping points there. Of course, midweek, uh, since we last spoke, they dropped points to Burnley as well. Um, they don't, I know they are different. I'm not saying that they're not. But to a layman such as myself, they don't really look that different. A lame A lame man like myself. They don't really look that different than they did under Solskjaer. I know Rangnick has sort of uh, gone back to different formations. Now the 4-2-2-2 wasn't quite working, but um, just sort of looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> Is that wrong? Well, there's not much you can really do with the players. You've got to play Ronaldo, really, because he's good at scoring the old goals, although not, not, not in this game. He missed an open one, didn't hit it hard yeah, enough. Yeah. You've got to play Fernandez, and he's best as a 10. If you play him as an 8, he's going to naturally wander forward or then pop up at right back for some reason uh, in this game. I thought Pogba was so good in this game. If he you play like this good. all the time, he'd be exactly what we think Paul Pogba is. Yeah. Scott McTominay's not a holding midfielder. And he was in the two, wasn't he? Pogba. Well, they started as a three with uh, Bruno and Pogba kind of side-by-side right. with McTominay as a six. Then it changed because it, it, you just need to because there's, it's imbalanced on the left side if you do that. Sancho was really good, much better on the, the left. Uh, and then when they swapped at some point during the first half, and I mm. don't know why they did that. I don't know why. But Rashford, they swapped Rashford and Sancho, maybe to try and confuse someone or something, to put Rashford against to Walker Peters. To confuse you. It must have been because it did. I didn't really understand that at all. Uh, yeah, but it's the thing that like, you can't really do much with it because you have to play your best players and then the system naturally forms mm. from that. He knows he can't play the way he wants to because it takes so long to get the pressing structure and the triggers in place. They also don't seem to do it very well. And then, I mean, it's just, there's just rubbish. It's a funny one, it's isn't annoying. it, Alex? We, I think we mentioned this last week, uh, and you, you, you weren't on the podcast, so I'll put it to you as well. Sort of getting to the stage where Rangnick, well, hard to say whether Rangnick's doing a good job or a bad job or not. It's, it's, it's very clear it's difficult to pull the pieces apart. But hypothetically, we're going to reach the summer and Rangnick theoretically has another two years in his contract in some other position. If the team continue in this way, are they going to want to do that? Is he going to want to do that? Like, and, 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 you know, if they start to win loads, why would they want to replace him? It's just sort of, I didn't really think about that when, when they brought him in under this new contract. But now it becomes apparent that there are um, complicated ways of looking at it, whatever happens. Yeah, I think it is complicated. That The reason you bring in someone like Rangnick is to ensure that there is a structure within the club that facilitates the acquisition of the right kind of players to play a certain kind of system, the pathway from the youth system to the first team, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And so for him to be an interim manager, I think that made sense in terms of getting to grips with the first team squad. It allows him to most closely assess those players. And it seems like if it's going to work, then United need to commit to transitioning, no pun intended, to that style of football and then give him free reign in terms of developing what happens off the pitch mm. and put a first team coach in who is capable of coaching that style of football, like, for example, a Hassenhutl. Mm. Um, but it's Man United, isn't it? <laughs> so 
there's a theory that makes sense to me in some sort of way. Um, but then, like JJ says, you have certain kind of players in there who are obviously good players but don't fit that style of football at all or are good players but have a certain kind of ego and want to play a certain sort of way. Um, it It's just a complete mess. It's like getting halfway through a recipe and then deciding that you actually want to make a different type of cake, which would be better, mm. but you're halfway towards making another type of cake. Yeah. I love cake. <laughs> I really like cake too. All different kinds. Yeah. Do you know, I had a piece cake? of uh, banoffee pie the other day. <gasps> no, it's not technically a cake. Is it technically a pie? It you know that so thing good. where you where you boil condensed milk in the can so that it turns into toffee? My mum did that once, but she didn't poke a hole in it and it just exploded everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> just destroyed the kitchen. And you were born. And I was born. Um, ooh, speaking of devastating blows... Uh, because Man United drew. Mm. It doesn't really work now. But uh, Caroline Weir scored a great goal. Talk about the icing on the cake. That's better. Yeah. Damn it! <laughs> uh, Caroline Weir, who seems to have developed a habit of scoring Puskas-nominated goals against Man United. Yeah. She's a Scottish international who plays for Man City. Uh, you can see this goal, I think it's on the internet. You'll just, if you Google it, It's on the it. BBC website. It is right now, yeah. Caroline Weir chips the goalie from about 25 yards. It's amazing. I'm going to watch it again as goal. you're talking. Yeah. Because it is good. She's I can't remember of, if she won the Puskas It's also It's weird because she's running towards... She's outside the 18-yard box. She's running towards the left of the D as you face the goal. And she kicks it with her left foot across her own body. Yeah. One of Perfect those kind angle. of... It can't be even any more top corner. Character. She also looks very happy that she's scored. I think Eric Lamella won the Pushcast last year, didn't he? For the Arsenal goal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Little Rabona. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ah, we're back from the break. What a lovely break it was. Norwich nil for City. Um, Alex, I thought Norwich pretty good in the first half. I thought that the, the scoreline probably, uh, you know, I would say this, but I didn't think it really fit that fairly reflected, uh, you know, some of the quality within the game. Lightning runs from Rashidza. He was amazing. Loved that. I thought Gilmore was quite good as well. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Williams had some good moments. They did a very good impression of a team that wasn't at all afraid of Manchester City, and mm -hmm. then they conceded four goals. Yeah, I think it was kind of harsh, wasn't it? Um, they they certainly played with tenacity. Look, you you can see from the way, for example, that Grant Hanley defends that he is too slow <laughs> to mm -hmm. play like really top level football, but yeah. there was enough going on around him. I think the players you highlighted, yes. Uh, Rashika's ability to take the ball in transition and carry Rashica. it. Yeah. Carry it away from threat and just buy Norwich time to kind of uh, recalibrate their position. He was Gilmore, so good. He was so exciting to watch when he yeah, carried the ball. Yeah. He was great, man. Um, Gilmore's distribution was good. There were yeah. a couple of moments as well where he was sort of diving in to win the ball back after Stop a slightly it. loose touch, which yeah. I like. I thought Lise Malou was quite good sitting at the base of that midfield. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, like they didn't, they didn't look like an incompetent team. They didn't look like they had the same sort of issues uh, that they had maybe towards the beginning of the season, particularly with their defensive structure. Yeah, they were just cut apart by it. I mean, watching Man City, like, you know what they're going to do. Yeah, like you can see the runs happening, you can see the rotations, you can see players drifting out wide, and then another player cutting into the half space. And it's almost like if you slowed it down, you could predict. Yeah. what was going to happen, but they are so good. You can't stop And the them. players are so technically brilliant. 
how are you supposed to stop it? I mean, JJ, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because like, we're at the stage with Man City now where we can sit here and describe Norwich City as having a good game and losing 4-0. <laughs> mm. uh, is that a problem? Is that, I mean, it's par for the course, isn't it? You, just, you know, the last two fixtures between them were 5-0. Uh, it's what's expected. It's not a surprise. And yet Norwich still played well. <laughs> I mean, how does that work? Um, I think it's kind of important to remember it or to think about how good this Man City team is and how it probably won't happen again like this. Mm. Like Pep Guardiola might be the best um, entertaining coach of like, of all time. Mm. His teams are all amazing to watch, hugely technically complicated, uh, but also it makes it look very simple at the same time. And those same runs that they, they make, I mean, Norwich were getting two v, like, like 1v2 in wide areas all of the time because City would just always find a way to do it. Like the players are so... Uh, in tune with what's meant to go on they, they identify where the little bits of space are and it just takes one player to be slightly out of position for that to then turn into a chance on goal yeah. because their players are then very good technically they are able to score like, I think Norwich went close with a couple I think Hanley had a header that was yeah. off the post and stuff like that yep. Yep. but that's about as good as you can hope for and nil-nil they had a couple of good chances yeah, yeah. I mean I think if you if you watch the City team the thing that really impresses me most of all apart from you know all the jazzy stuff that they do is say for example you watch Nathan Ake right Nathan Ake he, he makes a pass he is immediately dropping away mm. to get that extra two or three yards of space somebody else makes a pass they're moving like everyone pass and move pass and move all the time they're yeah. always finding a position where they're out of the cover shadow or they're in a position where it opens up another passing angle mm. and also when they're pressing you can see, like Bernardo Silva is particularly good at this, you can see that he's curving his pressing runs, he's looking to both sides. I didn't do that because of the microphone. That's sure. very disciplined. Good work. Thank you. Um, it's just, it's the off-the-ball stuff. Mm. Like you can, And that's why I think I agree with what JJ is saying about Guardiola as a coach. Like, there are players with exceptional technical ability that can do cool shit that no one else can do. But the off-the-ball work... And the ability to move into space all the time or mm. press brilliantly pretty much all the time. That just comes from coaching. I think it's players understanding the game as well. Like I think, as an example, when you play five-a-side, I think the best system to play at five-a-side is uh, like a diamond. Mm. So you should always, it doesn't, you don't have like not one person is the striker, not one person is the defender. You are all the same position, but you keep moving it around. So it adjusts. And the diamond will be a diamond depending on the angle you look at it as well. <laughs> sure. So you shouldn't be caught flat. Could um, be a, it could be a square. It could be a square, but if you tipped it, if you tipped the pitch sideways or whatever, it would look like a diamond. You're just always making sure you have certain areas of the pitch covered, and you also have the opposition covered, and you you make it into a flat three when trying to defend at certain times. Not too flat when you caught flat. But City, the entire eleven, move. Uh, naturally, so they don't even have to think about it. They just know if that player is there. That means I have to be here to fill this, which means he has to be there, which means I have to be there. And then if one person further up the pitch moves, it means someone else automatically moves. If it you becomes watch natural as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Because when you think about it like that, you think, well, they have a lot to think about. But if you do this every day for years, it's just natural, it yeah. just becomes natural. Even if I was sailing, you do small sided games, it just it should be natural. You just naturally fill in. You're not supposed to to talk to someone to tell them where they should be mm. you just drop into that position and you get obvious. used to the players alongside you you know yeah. where they're going to be without seeing them yeah absolutely um that's the thing is the whole, the whole 11 does that um as automated and i think you see it best if you watch man city in real life on the tv you can't really see it as well but i've noticed a few times i've seen them in in the stadium it is weird like watching uh some sort of robot experiment yeah or an automaton just, yes it's all it's all automated uh, and it does look like little pieces that are just naturally... They've been on a computer script almost. It just looks yeah. like everything naturally reacts to each other and goes like that. It's really cool. Yeah. In a different life, Pep Guardiola would have made a good Swiss watchmaker. Yeah. Or he could have made uh, robots. He could have made robots. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you talked before about uh, 1v2s in the wide areas quite a lot, JJ. Um, Alex, a player that I, I noticed probably more than he might have wanted me to in this game, was Max Ahrens. Um, I say, I reference JJ's point about the overloads because he was very frequently in difficult situations. He didn't help himself with his positioning uh, some of the time. But he's a very interesting player. I mean, he's a, he is their academy talent. He's probably their most valuable player in the squad now. Michael Bailey uh, put in uh, a piece I read the other day as the last crown jewel standing after the, after the departures of Godfrey and Jamal Lewis and, and Buendia. 
Um, there were also lots of, of rumours and reports of bids from Bayern Munich a couple of years ago. This January, the rumours were Roma, or whispers at least, um, Newcastle before Trippier went there. Um, he's still a young player, he's still being tracked by a lot of teams. I don't know whether it's fair to say that he looks like he's stalled or, or not. Or is it, I mean, there's obviously such a big difference between the Championship and the Premier League. He clearly needs to be at this level. Uh, but for his age, he's played so many games. Yeah, he's only 22 still. Um, he, I think you get this issue when, when somebody is clearly a very attacking fullback. And in the Championship, he was astonishingly fun to watch. Mm. Um, but with, with Lewis on the other side... Um, He's playing for a team now that requires him to be much more defensively solid. And I think this is the the point that the Michael Bailey piece was making, and he's absolutely right, is you don't see the best of Max Ahrens, although his defensive work is actually quite good. I mean, he's, yeah. according to FB Ref, he's in the top 99% of, or sorry, the top 1% of fullbacks for blocks wow. in Europe's top five leagues, which is astonishing. That's amazing. Um, so he is, he is putting a shift in. I mean, look, he got horribly exposed by Sterling a couple of times. Most players do. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't as bad as Harry Maguire against Brogia, but whatever. Um, Brogia. Uh, but I, I think the, the problem with Aaron's is that if he's going to develop and be as good as he could be, he needs to play for a team that probably actually plays him as a right wing back mm. uh, in, in the back three, five system. Um, He's not going to get that at Norwich unless Norwich go back down to the championship and he can be the kind of attacking player he wants to be again. But then I that's, think if they go down, he that, has to be he sold. He has to be sold. Because he's only going to improve further from where he is now. Like it's very, yeah. very obvious the championship is too low a level for him. I, I don't know what his level is within the top tier, whether he's a player that could eventually play for a, for a top six team in the Premier League, for example, or, or a mid-table team. Uh, but it's it's clear that lots of the biggest clubs around Europe think that he's a, he is a prospect to be to be watched I think and considered. In the, yeah, in the right system, I think he probably could be that. But it, it's one of these weird things where a player's development is not necessarily stalled. And this is no disrespect to Norwich either. I, Dean Smith's obviously doing a good job there under difficult circumstances. But certain kinds of players need to be playing a certain kind of role for them to really express themselves and develop and, and work well. And mm. he can't do that because the rest of the team is ensuring that he's playing in a more defensive way. He doesn't have the reign to attack in the way that he wants to. And that's yeah. that's going to, to thwart his development to a degree. I mean, he's got one assist all season, which is yeah. quite bad. What do you think of Max Aarons, JJ? I think he's all right. <laughs> Good stuff. Everton three nil leads. Haven't seen, haven't seen. But friend of the podcast John McKenzie did uh, tweet something interesting. I thought about uh, Everton off the ball. John McKenzie said Lampard, another manager who fits into. Uh, well, John used too many words in his tweet, but what he's saying is that um, he sees Lampard as a, as a manager who's better at coaching off the ball systems than on the ball. I think that's quite interesting. I was talking to John about it last night. And uh, we were sort of saying, I wonder if it's related to the fact that if you're a professional player, as most managers are these days, or ex-players, then one thing that's probably fairly consistent between your di the different managers you play under at various different uh, stages uh, will be, you know, how you defend off the ball. Unless, unless, you're, unless you're under Pep or, or Klopp and you're doing something very, very different and pressing, I would have thought with the vast majority of games that Lampard played at Chelsea, for example, that off the ball defensive play was probably fairly similar regardless of the manager that they played with it's something which is drilled into you over time it's also something a little easier to coach than attacking phases I don't know if that's true I mean I think uh, I mean as a manager you'd look at how you want to attack and how you want to create chances and you can look at how you want to defend and how you want to stop giving mm. away chances that's kind of as easy as that is what you want to do but then everyone will have their own opinion on how, how to do that Lampard's Chelsea were terrible in defensive transition. So if, there, if you say there's, if you su like subscribe to the, the Portuguese thing where you have four phases of play like, uh, in transition attacking, transition defence, um, defence and attack. There's all the four separate ones. Uh, Chelsea were quite good going forward and they were quite chaotic and they overloaded constantly. So again, like the idea in football really to create chances is to overload your opponent, whether in the wide areas or in the middle of the pitch, wherever you want to do it. And Chelsea would do it 
with loads of players going forward, attacking fullbacks, um, the four-two-three-one very quickly became a, a just a front four, and they had a space between the three and the one, so one would be isolated on the other side, the other three. Uh, but they were returning the ball over as naturally happens when you're trying to attack, and then they would be left in trouble against good teams. So they could destroy some teams, mm. but they would be left open to others. Like Man City tore them apart easily, way too early. I think just to see anything really at Everton. What Michael Keane said after the game is that the big difference that he can tell as a player is the level of intensity and training has gone right up. And what I see is that Lampard has just told them to attack more. Benitez had them sitting really deep and playing like they were a bad team. They were playing like a team in a relegation battle. It's trying to sit deep and block and then try and hit with quick um, transitions. And now they're trying to play with the ball and they have good players. And like the front two, I mean, Calvert-Loon's been missing a lot, Richarlison's been missing a lot, right? But like the, the middle two, Van de Beek and Allen in midfield, played very well. Um, Van de Beek good at linking with the plays, doing like a kind of Lampard box-to-box role that when he was a player. Mm. Gordon Iwobi stayed wide. Um, Iwobi was actually all right in this game. Uh, he'll, he'll have games where he does that and games where he doesn't know. That's what I, he does. I heard from a colleague in the kitchen that uh, Iwobi was very good in this game, particularly with his ball retrievals. <laughs> this colleague was at the game. Oh, well, uh, I would believe that. I mean, you've got Seamus Coleman scored his first goal in years. Did he? Yeah, because he's getting forward. Like, I don't think that's really been a thing they've been able to do under Benitez. I remember when Seamus Coleman scored virtually every other weekend. Do you remember there was that one yeah. season when all the goals came from him and Leighton Baines? One of the, the great underrated fullback combinations of the yeah. Premier League, yeah. I would say, those two. I mean, I think with... I, I agree completely with JJ that, that off the ball, Chelsea were a mess under Lampard. Mm. Like an absolute car crash. But... It's also off the ball systems against Leeds work because Leeds use a man to man marking system. Mm. So that, that you can make a, an off the ball system look good by just getting players to overload more and it pulls Leeds' system apart mm. and is a more overt kind of success than it might be against teams that don't use such an aggressive marking system. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think it's still too early to tell with Lampard about anything, really. I'm curious to see him uh, perform at a club with different expectations than than Chelsea. I mean, not just in terms of finishing positions and you know and uh, overall number of wins, but even within games. I think Everton, the expectation that you attack constantly or on top in every game is just not there in the same way that it is with Chelsea. So I wonder if that will have any impact on the way that he manages or coaches the team. Well, th- Everton will finish. Um, over time, they'll end up finishing mid-table. Under Lampard, the best you can probably hope for is, I would say, about eighth, something like that. Mm. The problem is that when so you, you don't finish, think they're relegation candidates, then uh, at the moment, yes, but I think they'll come out because their players are so much better than other ones around them. They'll climb up the table. But what I was going to say is that, say, like, say it's next season, right, and they're they're going to finish eighth at the end of the season for a good length of time in the league. Say in November, I'm just making this all up, but in November they might go three or four like games in a row where they lose. Mm. And it's going to look like, oh, he's lost it. The dressing room's gone. He's a bad manager. But it just levels out because the level of players that they have mean that's what they do. Like they spent, what was it, 40 million on Deli Alley? I don't even see where he gets I in the team I think he's supposed to sort of go up to that under certain circumstances, right. but apparently isn't anywhere near that off okay, the bat. Okay, well, then that's fine then. But yeah, he, I mean, he came on as a sub. Uh, really are stirring it up. You're a gossip monger. A gossip monger. I like the gossip, yeah. Newcastle won near Aston Villa. They've won three in a row. 17th, 17th Newcastle are, 21 points, with a game in hand on Norwich, who have 17 points, in 18th. I know that's a confusing set of numbers, a sequence of numbers there. Um, very impressive, isn't it, JJ? Yeah, I think they'll be all right now. Yeah. Although Kieran Trippier is now out for a good few weeks, and he's been... What do they say, six weeks, eight weeks? Six to eight weeks with, a, I think it's a metatarsal injury. Oh, yeah, uh, and his, I mean, without him, they don't score that free kick that they score against Villa, and it could very easily just end up a draw or Hasn't something. Hasn't he scored a couple of goals in the last three games? Yeah, he scored two free kicks, yeah. Yeah. Two free kicks? Yeah. Goodness me. He's a really good player, Trippier. There he is. That's the thing, you remember that he, he won the league with Atletico. He's an England international, he's a really high-level player. Uh, Left, though, didn't he? Left and went abroad, where they're all rubbish, <laughs> I've heard. That's what I've heard. Dan Byrne was superb, I think. I saw Alan Shearer tweeting specifically to Dan Byrne, calling him big man, which seems fair enough because he is very tall. Six foot seven. Uh, yeah. Calling him man of the match. Yeah, I think Neville, Gary Neville gave him man of the match as well. But uh, like Byrne, so he might not come across as being the greatest defender in the world. He's been at Brighton, hardly like 
you know, he's not done Virgil van Dijk level things. Mm. But what you get from a player who was released from the Newcastle Youth Academy, he's very, very young, I think, uh, will be a total drive and determination to prove everyone wrong and to tr- to play for his hometown club that you just cannot, I mean, you can buy it because they bought him. Sure. But you know what I mean? You can't really, <laughs> Yeah, you can't put that into people. I mean, you have written that, you've written that here in the plan. It turns out the secret to management is signing better players. Yeah, I think basically that's what good managers do. Yeah. Guardiola kind of breaks that rule, but mostly it's just recruitment. Well, he also does sign better players. Well, exactly. Well, imagine what, remember what Man City were like before he bought the fullbacks and makes them better. Sure. Everyone's like, oh, he's a fraud. Yeah, fraudiola, they said. Bold yeah. fraud. And then yeah. you put the right players in and lo and behold, they're suddenly much better. Baldiola. And Byrne and Trippier, I think, pretty much won Newcastle that game. Playing Joe Ellington as a ball-winning midfielder like N'Golo Kante seems to work really well. He's yeah. Really, he's good at that, yeah. He's been doing that for a while now, hasn't he? A couple of yeah. months. People like it. It's, yeah, he seems to be really good at it. He's not very good on the ball, but he's really good at chasing people down and being a menace. He took a really clever yellow card just to stop a counter-attack, mm. to chase the boy down and try to rugby tackle him a few times. Well, can we say then, uh, you know, congratulations to Eddie Howe at this point? And Joe Ellington. Well, and Joe Ellington, of course, as well. But I'm saying you come into a club and you see a striker who doesn't score, you tell them as well, ball-winning midfielder. I mean, that's a pretty ballsy move. Mm. <laughs> Boy, you move back here and do something entirely different. I know, Alex, you've got this thing about positions versus roles, yeah. but Joe Ellington's position and role has changed dramatically. But when he was at Hoffenheim and successful, he was very much like a high-pressing shadow striker. He was right. a, a link player. Yes, Howe has moved him into a slightly further back position than even I would have expected. Right. But... Steve Bruce just consistently put him in the wrong place and asked him mm. to do the wrong stuff all the time. Sure. And it's... I mean, glad we, on your head. We did a video about it, but it's not like it was a massive secret. You, you'd have to sure. be quite dumb not to realise that that was the case. I didn't know. <laughs> did you not watch the video we did? I it? think I did the voiceover, but you know, yeah. in one, out the other. <laughs> Straight away. Speaking of managerial genius... Yes. You've written that there as a segue for me, but then I think you've not meant it to go to Tottenham Wolves, have There's you? No, I did. Oh, you did mean that. I thought you yeah. wanted it to go to the Aberdeen bit. No, it goes into Tottenham nil. Spurs are garbage, you've written. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did write that. Yeah. Antonio Conte is not, I mean, he is one of the best managers of his generation. He's the real deal. Yeah. So uh, I've heard. But he doesn't seem to have realised that he's joined a team that are very medium. Like he says they're very medium. They're like a meal deal. Yeah, I really they? don't like that expression. Average. Meal deal, yeah. A kind of average. It's that kind of thing. Like internal rhyme. Yeah. They're like a Tesco sandwich and what you want is a sandwich from the good sandwich shop. Yeah. Which is better. I agree. Uh, yes, Spurs uh, lost to Wolves. Um, Bruno Lage, is that his name? Bruno? Oh, don't ask me about yeah, pronunciation. Bruno Lage. Bruno Lage, yeah. Clearly very bad at it. Well, he's at, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lager. He's, uh, he's clearly doing very well, and I would suspect we'll get a really um, better job at some point. A really not, better job? Not saying that Wolves isn't the best job you could... Oh, I mean, I'm, well, it's, it's not the best it's job you can get. He's doing really well. Not, yeah. he's, doing, he's doing really well. Mm. Uh, they're good to watch, and they're hard to beat. He's, also, he's also very stylish. Mm. I was going to say as well, Saw, as their goalkeeper... Is sort of, I mean, again, not under the radar because he's obviously been performing really well. But sure. as a signing back in the summer that no one really paid much attention to. Yeah. Um, we brought him up a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, actually. He's been one of the better keepers of the season so far. Completely. Mm. Yeah, he's excelled. Yeah, mm. really, really smart piece of business. I like. Well, Conte has taken to uh, just slagging off his players saying that they're all awful. Uh, it's very Mourinho-ish. Didn't work very well for him either. Well, you know, I, th- I think Antonio should get them. Get those players. And he's not wrong. <laughs> like, they're not... They are very medium, this is the thing. So Don't you think now they just should have just sold Harry Kane for a hundred and whatever, a hundred and thirty million pounds and just rebuilt the team? Yes. Yes. It worked really well and did, we did that with Gareth Bale, I seem to recall. Like, well, one... All those players have gone now of the Gareth Bale seven. The last one to leave, of course, was um, of uh, the chap who won the pushcast. What's his name? Eric Lamella. Eric Lamella was the last to leave. But then, are they actually, like... Are Spurs the kind of, in in terms of club, backroom setup, mm. are they the kind that you would entrust with 130 million to dispense oh, no. wisely with it? No, I mean, no. It, would, it seems a little bit more like you'd end up getting into maybe a Barcelona Osman Dembele situation of we're, oh, we've got to replace this guy. We've got all this money. Sure. Oh, we'll take anyone. Yeah. How will we fill this, the 
the expensive seats if you can't look at Harry Kane the Hurricane. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's, it's mostly like a zoo now, <laughs> the stadium. <laughs> they just go to see a Harry Kane in the wild. Sure. And maybe they win some games. If know. Harry Kane was in the wild, yeah. what kind of environment do you think he'd live in? Where, well, like, What would his sort of territory be? What do they call it? Habitat. Mm. What would his habitat be? Long grass. Yeah, I, I mean, he's got the kind. He has got the the, the blonde hair. He'd, he'd do well on the on the sort of Saharan plains. I'm seeing like a kind of Serengeti scenario. Yeah, I'm seeing like the jungle, and he's built like a. He'd stand out. Sort he'd of, stand out in the jungle. You could. You got to be camouflaged, right? But he, I think unless he's he the apex predator, find tools to. He would manufacture his own tools. I think do it well, and he would build a sort of treehouse society, lead that well. Um. I don't see this at all. No, I don't. It's, I, I know this game is really stupid game. I and don't actually, believe that Harry Kane is an apex predator. I, I, this is very interesting to me. That like this is this hypothetical game, yeah. which has no value or meaning, yeah. and is stupid. Still, still, I don't. I think you're completely wrong. Could he, he kill a man? His ankle. Could and he then, kill a man? Yeah, we could all kill a man under I'd the right circumstances so. <laughs> to survive. But he's tall and strong, and you know he's upper body strength. He could definitely kill a man. Yeah. Yeah, but he's got those flaky leg joints. Yeah. I mean, Roll his ankle yeah. trying to kill the man. Yeah. Right. And then he's just going to get hunted down by a pack of hyena. Well, that is what happened in the past, wasn't it? If you did roll your ankle on the job, you'd just you'd dehydrate and burn up in the sun. What job is that? Hunting. <laughs> oh. Joe's talking about the proletariat again. <laughs> Do you remember that film Dinosaur? I don't know if it was Disney that made it or not, but there was a film called Dinosaur. Uh, where all the dinosaurs had American accents. No? But they, one of them lived on one island, and then there was a big... He lived there with all the lemurs. I think his egg had been that had gone like over. Uh, on the lemurs in the Madagascar? Water. I don't know. No, not in Madagascar. His egg. And uh, his egg his egg had uh, <laughs> drifted across the sea. Anyway, the point How is... Do you egg? remember this film, Dinosaur? No one remembers this film. I haven't imagined it. Anyway, the point is, his egg... Before he was born, the egg he was living in as a oh. as a as an embryo uh, was washed away from mother's nest, and <laughs> it was carried yep. to this other to this other island. It's a two thousand film, two thousand released by Disney. Disney, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it, it's it's great. And anyway, three hundred and fifty million dollars at the box office. There you go, very impressive. Yeah. But he grows up in this environment um, with all the lemurs. There are no other dinosaurs to speak of, um, but he's a kind of young, young buck, excitable sort of teenage dinosaur. Anyway, Meteor comes, yeah? They have to flee. They flee across the sea. All the lemurs ride his back, and he goes across the sea. Turns out there's loads of other dinosaurs over there, but it's very dangerous there, carnivores and, you know. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is because, um, the uh, obviously, the kind of human narrative is uh, embedded into these dinosaurs. They they move at the slowest pace possible to ensure that everyone can keep up instead of leaving their dead behind. And it nearly costs them. Mm. Must the have film. been quite a small meteor. Aberdeen have fired Stephen Glass. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Is that their manager? He used to play for Newcastle. Did yeah, he? Yeah, he's the manager. He yeah. was the manager, yeah. He was quite a good midfielder, wasn't he? He was uh, a very good midfielder. Do yeah. you feel shattered? <laughs> what a yeah. pain. Well, I yeah. thought this was interesting. Uh, <laughs> as often happens with a manager at a club who's underperforming, the yeah. fans all really wanted him out, but they also really wanted Derek McInnes out because the football was terrible. Is I mean, there a stain on his record? Stay, is there a stained? Uh, yes, he got fired. Yeah. <laughs> that is a stain would, on his CV. That would be a stain. He was brought in from Atlanta in America. Uh, and is this Atlanta? Is, Atlanta, yeah. Uh, Atlanta is in Italy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I meant Atlanta. No, I, I, do, I actually do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. See, he was like the reserve coach there and got the job at Aberdeen um, right. after an extensive recruitment process that included... Took them all the way to Atlanta. Almost solely Stephen Glass. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know I heard it also had Derek Wall and... Um, Derek Wall was a big... James Window. Yeah. Window yeah. came close. Yeah. Dr. Chimney. Anyway, for Christ's sake, tell us what happened to JJ. Everyone, oh, ha everyone must know he's All got the fired. Aberdeen fans are going nuts. So the problem in Scotland at the moment is that every, like, fans want their teams to play nice football. And generally that sure. doesn't happen in Scotland. Well, no. 
Because to play nice football, you have to have good players. Right. And to do that, you need to have money yeah. to, with which to afford the good players. And you haven't got any. Well, this is the thing. So like, Hibbs got rid of uh, Jack Ross, who's doing an all right job. And then came uh, uh, Sean Maloney, who's been working with Roberto Martinez at Belgium. Mm. He's come in. They're not doing very well. Uh, Sean Steven Maloney Glass, of Wigan. Yes. Was he working with Roberto Martinez at Bel in Belgium? Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. Him oh. and Thierry Henry were like the assistant coaches. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Thierry Henry and then Sean so, Maloney. He was a very good player. Sean I Maloney. thought he was a fantastic player. He's, you know, we're, we're releasing a video about Wigan very soon, that Wigan team. Was Maloney in it? Yes. Yes, he is, yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Anyway, I'm just getting derailed, and even I don't want to talk about this now. But no. the, uh, yeah. Aberdeen fired their manager. Uh, he's trying to play nice football. Um, fans disagree when I say they want to play nice football because mm. it seems like all they do is pass the ball around. But this is the thing. Sure. If you don't pass it quickly enough, you don't get in behind the team who sits deep. And every team in Scotland who is expected to finish below fourth just sits deep and mostly shells it. Sure. Or, uh, or plays in transition with, uh, when I say shell, I mean they go to a target man or they go to wide areas, they chip it down the wings and try and go there. Nothing too clever with it. The team who wants it more is often the one who wins. Mm. Um, and I should caveat this by saying I really love watching Scottish football. It is really fun. Sure. But there's the thing. So Glass tried to, he brought in a whole new team. A lot of them are injured most of the time, especially in key positions. Tried to make them play nice football. Couldn't really get the players in that allows you to play the kind of football that would make that work. Yeah. And so now it looks like if you just have a manager in the whole time who played bad football, yeah. probably better off. Like McInnes' football was terrible to watch. But it got results. It got results. And now they're looking at... Well, you know what they say. You know what glass is made out of? Sand. 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 And if you build a house on sand, you know what happens? It is all sandy. It sinks yes. into, the, into the poor foundations. The sea washes it away. Yeah. And the sea of fan discontent has washed away this particular sandcastle. Who's going to be the next Aberdeen manager? Uh, I don't know. Well, there's the thing. Jack if you want it to be JJ Bull, then please tweet at Aberdeen and say, please pick JJ Bull as your manager. I think if enough of you get behind please this... Please don't do that. I think if enough of you can get behind this, A, there's a chance that they'll appoint him, and B, it will definitely embarrass him, and that would be funny for me. In fact, I'm going to start it now. Please don't do that. Let I, me just I go twitter.com. Oh, I'm not logged in. Hold on, I'll just do it on my phone. One second. Let me just get... This will make for golden podcasting. Aberdeen. Yeah. Aberdeen? Who would your first signing as the new Aberdeen manager be, JJ? Signing, I, I, that's difficult because you've got to scout really small markets. Like a lot of the players that Aberdeen used to scout, I know under McInnes they've changed this now, um, was like Norwegian and Danish leagues, but even below the top tier because even those players cost money. I'll do that for you. Yeah, like Alfredo Morales went to Rangers and I think Aberdeen were looking at players like that at the time, but uh, they just couldn't come near to affording what he would cost. Like the average wage difference between Aberdeen and the teams like Celtic and Rangers, it's, it's incredible. It's like 6.5 times the amount. There so they go. can't afford those sorts of players to play the way they want to be able to play. But then you look at Callum Davidson, right? Won the double last year at St. Johnston. So they won two cups. They shouldn't win anything. Now, this year they are dead bottom, completely bottom. And so you think, oh, he's... He's a rubbish manager. They should change. But he won the double last year. So is he? St. Johnston were also massively overpowered in football manager last year. Really? Like they were impossible to beat. Was it Sean Rooney scoring goals as a attacking I, wingback? I don't remember. Yeah. Lots of people agree with me already. People are, people are agreeing in their droves. If you want to join the movement, you just have to tweet, you should appoint at JJ Bull as your new manager at Aberdeen FC. And just see what happens. You never know. Maybe it could be your moment. What do you think? I think, it, I mean, it's no. I don't want to do <laughs> this. already embarrassed in some yeah. ways. Because then people are going to think I actually think that. I know. That's why it's funny. But I don't think that. Well, this podcast Obviously isn't released until tomorrow. So for the rest of the day, people might think you mean that. Anyway. Uh, have you done it as well, Alex? Well done. I know uh, Craig, producer Craig's on Twitter now. He's never tweeted anything. He just wanted to see how many followers he could get without ever saying anything. But today could be the day. 92. He's got 92. Oh, that's good. Well done, Craig. One more thing. One last thing I can do to sort of round up this sort of Aberdeen bit that many people won't care about. Yeah, round it up quick. Is like how underlying numbers for teams like XG and stuff like that are really relevant in this sort of situation. So Aberdeen's XGA shows that there's a difference. So expected goals against, that is, mm. shows that... <laughs> So Aberdeen's expected goals against shows that uh, they have 
conceded many more goals than they should have or should have been expected to. Yes. Which is often because either the goalkeepers are bad, they're unlucky. Um, so it's often to do with bad luck or little one, one-off mistakes, little errors here and there. So if that those things hadn't happened and those sorts of things happen when a team is out of form sometimes, it yeah. happened when players are injured and you're missing the key individuals who would make that, uh, you know, keep, keep things calm at the back. That's sort of where Aberdeen and Aberdeen lost the amount of goals that they have in the, the Premiership. So they're currently sitting, I think they're ninth at the moment, but they're four points off so, and a game in hand yeah. off of being in fourth. Yeah. So it looks awful because they're close to the relegation zone on the table. Yeah. But actually, they're much closer to being in fourth. Sure. Which is kind of silly, isn't it? I'd say so. If you won one more game, it would have looked fine. Based on what you've said, yeah. that I definitely listened to, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's probably all getting cut. How many breaks it? have we had? Just one? And we're back. Uh, quick thing last week, Villa leads. I just wanted to reference it. We didn't, we didn't, it was again, it was a midweek game, so we didn't talk about it uh, after the, on the last podcast. But Villa three leads three. Dan James, outstanding as a, as a, a stand in striker. I've got sand on the brain. A stand in striker. Uh, he scored two goals. One of them was a header that he won in the six yard box in a very congested six yards box. Dan James won that header. Also, Philippe Coutinho and Jacob Ramsey were, were excellent, but I'm sure we'll talk about Aston Villa a bit more another time. A brief uh, a bit on Leicester here, uh, Alex. I saw an um, Infogol tweeted an interesting statistic that said, on Twitter that said, uh, Leicester are currently the worst defensive team in the Premier League based on expected goals against the metric that JJ was just talking about there. Uh, since Infogol started collecting XG data in 2014, no team has possessed a worse defensive process. None. Not even relegated teams. That's mm. bad. It, it is quite bad, yes. I mean, obviously you Brendan can... Brendan Rodgers has stayed too long. You can mitigate that by scoring lots of goals, mm. which is helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the... Obviously, injuries that they've had, his defensive structure has been completely messed up by yeah. that. Um, and that's really, really unfortunate, particularly for Fana, obviously, but also Vestergaard's not been able to play much. Sure. Evans has been in and out, Soyonshu likewise. I think it's really harsh. I think there are there's still the, the makings of a really genuinely great side there. Unfortunately, because this season hasn't gone well, I think Tielemans will get picked off by yeah. somebody who's much better. Uh, Soyuncu possibly and too. And Didi maybe. And Didi obviously likely. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I-, I think it's a really unfortunate state of affairs for Rogers and Leicester because of the injury issues. Yeah, it'll make them look worse than they are, and then teams will hover and pick off their best players. This could have been their season, you know, where they had that collection of that group together before it's it splits off. This could have been their their best season, couldn't it? Not a best because they won the league, but uh, you know, their best of recent years. Yeah, could have been same sort of problems that Stephen Glass had at Aberdeen. Lots of injuries derailing your season. <sighs> Trying to play midfielder Daniel Amarty at centre back is very difficult. He's doing a decent job under circumstances, but Amarty's not a centre back. Mm. And so just having like, remember when Liverpool brought in Van Dijk and how much better they suddenly were? Mm. That's Leicester without Johnny Evans. That's Leicester without Wesley yeah. Fofana. It just makes a huge difference. And at Leicester's kind of budget missing, they don't have the kind of squad they can afford to have the players like Liverpool do in reserve now yeah. or Man City do in reserve. So you miss those, suddenly your team's not as good, you need your first choice 11. I think Shoot. also they, they were, I don't want to say unlucky, but they're, they're two outstanding defensive prospects coming through, Luke Thomas and Justin James, are both fullbacks. Yeah. And if they'd had a, a young centre-back of that quality coming in, it might have been easier to work around that, but sure. they haven't. Sure. Well, it is what it is. There we go. That's Leicester. Um, a quick look around Europe now. Things did happen in Europe. Um, Firefell Borkum, 4-2 Bayern Munich. Interesting result there. Bayern conceding four goals in the first half. Yeah, very exciting for everyone involved. Um, they are still nine points ahead. <laughs> they, they played a pretty uh, wild system. Did they? <laughs> where, well, they, so they had a back four and then they had Kimmich as the central midfielder. Mm. And then they had an attacking line of like Koeman, Gnabry, Muller and uh, Sané. And Lewandowski up front. And then Lewandowski like up front. Like a 4-1-4-1. Yeah, but, but a 4-1-4-1 sort of shifted one line up on Football Manager, yeah. um, which is actually how I play Football Manager as well. Sure. It's high risk. Um, well, there we yeah, go. Don't do it against Bochum. Congratulations to Firefell Bochum. There we go. AC Milan, of course, go top of Serie A with a tight win 
over Sampdoria. Inter do have a game in hand, and that won't be played for a while. So, I mean, there's a bit of a mismatch there. But, uh, you know, there we go. I also, I did set my calendar to watch Atalanta versus Juventus 1-1. Is that because you wanted to see Stephen Gloss's <laughs> boys? Yes, that's, yeah. that's it. That's it. It's all um, boys. It's, it's, all boys. it's because um, Rafael I, Liao at Milan mm. is turning into one of the most exciting players to watch sure. around at the moment. Yeah. Quite awesome. To watch around. To watch around, yeah. As in, you like to see what happens, not him, but what's happening around him. Exactly that. Yeah. Yes. It's a sort of still say. center of a turning world. <laughs> there you go. Well, well done, Leao. Real and Barcelona both drawing this weekend in La Liga. There was a 4-3 thriller with Atletico uh, edging out Getafe, but I didn't watch any of those games. And just to keep everyone updated, PSG are 16 points ahead in Liga. They might win that then. I think they'll win that one. Mm-hmm. But the Champions League returns. Hooray. More football. More football. Uh, and we'll get to see... You know, for all of those uh, Premier League fans who are who don't don't support Man City and Liga fans who don't support PSG, it, uh, March is a wonderful time and April sometimes is a wonderful time because you get to see these big teams not win the thing they actually care about and uh, just win the league again, which they painfully don't really care about. So uh, it's all broken. It's all broken. It's all broken. All right. Well, Alex Stewart, thanks you. Thank you. And uh, JJ Bull the Bullard, thanking you. Thanking you. Uh, we'll be back next week with more. Uh, thanks as usual to producers Adonis, Sol and Craig in today. And uh, all the best for the, for the rest of the week. See ya! Athletic.